0: Hello and welcome, I'm Hannah Palamara and this is My Vulnerable Voice, a podcast and visual project sharing stories of rawness, courage and love. We all go through difficult and sometimes life-changing experiences and what I have learned is that by sharing these stories we can not only bring healing to ourselves but to other people. Thank you so much for being here. In this episode I speak with Michaela Marling. We chat about her experience as a midwife during the pandemic and how it was her own life story and events that brought her to becoming a midwife. It's a great listen. Get a cup of tea and tune in. Hi, Michaela. Thank you so Hi, much next. for coming on today. So lovely to speak to you and to have you coming on and share with us about yourself and your story. How are you doing? Thank you. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. I'm feeling feeling good and feeling
1: quite um, yeah, excited to share, to share this part of me.
0: Yeah, obviously we're all currently on lockdown, um, with mm. the coronavirus <laughs> pandemic. So I think, you know, it's a great time to kind of sit back and talk about, you know, with people about many different subjects as um, people have got more time on their hands to listen and share, (laughs) (laughs) me included, or not if you're surrounded by children. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But obviously, I would just love to chat with you um, about you and your story. You're, you know, I know you have an incredible story. We've met and we've talked a lot and we have a lot of similarities as well. Mm -hmm. And you're an independent midwife um so please share with me um a little bit about um what brought you to where you are today oh my gosh it's quite a um
1: it's only been recently that I've really realized the kind of turn of events that happened from being a child Mm. um that kind of brought me to where I am today and who I am today um Mm. in terms of being a midwife the type of midwife that I am and the way that I feel about certain things like human rights and Mm. um, bodily autonomy and Mm. issues around consent and coercion um, in midwifery, maternity, and birth, which I relate back to um, the experiences that I've had Mm. in my life in the past around sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think yeah so I've, I've been kind of working through it recently and I just re- have realized that I thought it was relating to one specific event when I was in my late teens but actually when I've picked it apart I can I can relate it back to like that the, there was a build up to that from being a child yeah um in terms of my relationships with men and Um, how I felt in terms of, um, how comfortable I felt around men and what the attention that I had from men. Mm. And I kind of, I grew up without really men in my life consistently. My parents divorced when I was about one. Um, even though I I saw my dad not, not very often. Mm. And then, and then kind of the next thing was that I was quite badly bullied at school from a young age by, all by boys, mm-hmm. um, and it was kind. It wasn't just verbal; it was it was physical. It was it was it was her- pretty horrific, um, and it went on for years. And this kind of started a real distrust in boys, mm-hmm. which led, I think, distrust in men because I just really didn't have that kind of anyone that I really felt that comfortable with that was in my life consistently um and I never felt I had much like positive positive attention so I didn't even have a boyfriend until I was I think I was um 17 Mm -hmm. Um, and I just didn't really feel worthy of any kind of positive interactions um and looking back I know I I feel like I never felt totally at ease around men and that's not to say I didn't feel it's not to say I felt unsafe but I just never really relaxed totally as a, as a child or as a teenager mm-hmm. um, and then I so I moved out of home when I was 16 yes. and my life became about partying with not much of a care in the world and I pretty much I kind of sofa surfed through the rest yep. of my teens party hard and started to it was at that point that I started to get what I felt like was positive attention from men mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. although I know now that I only ever really associated that with sex and it yes wasn't it absolutely was not positive in terms of good solid relationships um Like losing my virginity was a fucking disaster. <laughs> um mm-hmm. It wasn't this. People make out that this this is beautiful thing that that happens to you, and <laughs> it was horrendous. He didn't even know he didn't know I was a virgin. I it was in a car. I wasn't in yeah. a relationship. It was someone I I'd, I'd met a few times, and it wasn't a nice experience. But yeah, whenever is it? <laughs> absolutely i I have to agree with you on that one actually i think it and then i think that sort of cemented my beliefs around my body and my sexuality and my self-worth around men which was just i just felt like an object really um even though i didn't even realize it at the time i was so young um it wasn't really until my late, late teens that I even had any male friends and even started to trust men. I just started to trust them. Um, and then was in a situation that just swept that right out from underneath my feet. Mm -hmm. Um, so, um, yeah, I was, Yeah, as I say, I was in my late teens. I was living in a different town to my family. I don't even know what year it was or exactly how old I was. I've blocked it out for so long. Mm -hmm. But I was in a a situation where I'd been made homeless. I'd been locked out of the house I was staying in. Um, And the person who was a friend of a friend that I'd been staying with had just rented the room out to someone else while I'd been away For a short period of time, due to um, a family bereavement. Mm. Um, And I only found out when I got back, and she wouldn't answer her phone, and I couldn't get in. Mm. And I called around all her friends, no one knew where she was. I managed to get in touch with one who I'd met a couple of times. Um, they They seemed like really nice people. And her and her boyfriend said they'd come and help me. And I could stay with them for a bit. I was absolutely I was in pieces so they just mm. they drove over um and came to get me and yeah she was she was a sex worker I have I had and I have no judgment around that they seem they were they were really lovely um and I felt so grateful for the help at the time because I just felt so vulnerable and mm. alone um And then the person that I had been staying with created this web of lies about me stealing from her, which she had made up to spite me, even though, because I'd moved out, even though there was another person that had been staying in my room, because there was um, a man's stuff in my room, because I I climbed through the window to get my stuff in the end. Yeah. Um, And, yeah she she did what she knew would hurt me and tried to turn my friends against me, which she admitted to me afterwards. She did what she did what she could to hurt me the most and spread lies amongst my friends and unfortunately, mm. they all believed them, yeah, um and even after she then, after days of me sobbing down the phone to her, pleading with her to tell them the truth, mm. when she did, they'd created this like reality of their own like they talked about it so much amongst themselves that they'd come up with this reality that even when she told them that it wasn't true she they kind of they wouldn't believe her mm-hmm. it was the most bizarre thing um and it's something that i kind of attribute to really struggling still to this day with trusting new people coming into my life mm-hmm. um but that's something that i'm yeah working hard on but Going off on a tangent, all oh, whilst this was going on, I was staying with this couple. Um, but, yeah, I was in what turned out to be a pretty dire situation and trapped. Um, I didn't have a job. I had no income. I didn't have another place to go to. I didn't know how to ask for help. Yeah, I like. I was not very good at communicating at that age. I didn't know how to or even feel able to open up to ask for help. I couldn't explain that I couldn't I wouldn't dare explain the situation that I was into anybody like what would they think yeah um and then so they started asking me to do things to pay my way to stay there yeah which started by asking me to be her telephone person because she said I had a lovely telephone manner and voice which I felt fine I can I can do that but you know that that escalated. Um, and I don't think I really need to go into details mm. about exactly what happened, but it happened a couple of times. And I felt I didn't have a choice at all. Yeah. Um, I felt trapped. I felt completely abandoned. I was totally heartbroken and incredibly vulnerable. And I couldn't see any way out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and how did you get out of that situation in the end? So it was actually the woman's partner. Um, she went out one day, and he said, "Look, we need to te- we need to get you out of here." And he drove me to because um, I didn't have a car, and that I was living in a different city to my my family. And he drove me. Mm home basically mm-hmm. and I had to tell um family what had happened but at the time I didn't expl- I didn't fully understand it yeah yeah I didn't fully understand the situation that I'd been put yes. in and you know I would describe it as as grooming and they I didn't see it as that at the time I just saw myself as this disgusting like worthless mm. piece of yeah I just um, I felt revolting. My yeah. self worth is just non-existent, and I felt I just didn't deserve deserve anything good, really. And yeah, but his he was he saved me, but from it basically. Mm-hmm. By he obviously he said that he saw that I I shouldn't be there, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, he bundled me in his car and drove drove me um miles to to my family mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: So, yeah. So, I was going to say, what happened next? You know, after that, going through such a traumatic experience, and then I, I just have so much. I recognise so much of what you, um, your experiences as well in myself and what I've been through. It's just really interesting and heartbreaking, you know, to to mm-hmm. listen and just have so much, um, have so much identification. And I can just, yeah. I recognise and I know that feeling of feeling complete and utter shame and disgust yeah. in yourself, and and at that age um also not having the the full understanding and feeling like it was basically all my fault which yeah sounds really similar yeah
1: exactly and I've I've, I it was only it's only been in the last couple of years that I've really realized that it wasn't my fault um and really worked through what happened I I think I just kind of shut it away like that Mm. was just the past I'm I've moved on from that now but. When I, when I like, I look back at the last like ten years or so, yeah. I can see it's, or even ever since then, it's affected relationships hugely mm-hmm. for me. I've never actually had a long-term partner. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a couple of really lovely relationships who sort of set the bar for me in mm-hmm. terms of the type of relationship I want and what I should expect and the type of person I want to be with. Yeah. And I'm kind of at a place where I'd never negotiate with that. Then on the same time, I st- I've always had that feeling of not deserving it. So yeah. it's like, I know that's what I want. I don't want anything less, but then I don't deserve it. So I should, I won't have anything at all. Yes. Um, and I think that feeling of not deserving is something that felt so deeply rooted. Um, it's like knowing what I want and deserve consciously, but subconsciously, there's this deeply wounded part of me mm-hmm. that stands in the way of
0: that. Yeah, um, yeah. And what was your what was sort of not your wake up call, but what sort of led you into, you know, realizing um, that you wanted to make a change and start a healing process? And was there was there any kind of event that happened that kind of just made you realize or was it more of a gradual sort of as you've got older and, you know, done some work on yourself? It's just become more apparent. I think
1: probably the, the big turning point was becoming a midwife mm-hmm. so I think it was in my in my 20s I kind of I I this is this was all well well gone by then mm. um and I had like a great life great friends um and yeah was just enjoying my life um and had a job at HSBC and yeah I'd been there I think I'd been there I spent seven years there in the end wow. um whereas before that like I didn't hold a job down for six months very rarely yes. um before that point so that was like a hugely powerful like important mm. part of my life like I had seven years of solid friendships and solid fun yeah. and um, a, a good career but then in my mid-20s I just by accident I just found midwifery I think I just I popped out for a walk on my lunch break mm. and um the local university were having an open day and I just strolled in and kept <laughs> Came across the midriff. That's amazing!
0: Wow, I love that. (laughs) And I I
1: was just like, "How did I not know about this job?"
0: That's so amazing.
1: Um, And it just felt like a calling. Um, I, yeah, I just couldn't believe that I hadn't heard of it before, and I just knew that it was perfect for every single part of me. And then I just threw everything into getting there, which was, which Mm -hmm. was hard because it took me from that moment. to qualify it took me eight years so it was a very like I had to jump over a lot of hurdles and a lot of people telling me that I probably won't get there and I probably won't get into Mm -hmm. university and I probably you know all of these and I just ignored them all Mm -hmm. um, and just fought um and I think subconsciously that part of that was fighting for me To have a feeling of being worthy and working in a loved and respected Mm. job, Um, but until it came to really working through this trauma, I never realised really how much of an impact it has on my role as a midwife. Like being, like I said earlier, like being fiercely passionate about human rights. Mm -hmm. Like I get this, um, like cellular feeling when Mm. I. When I see, see or hear issues around bodily autonomy or issues around consent and coercion, yes. um, which is definitely now I see I, through the last year of working through all of this, I can see that it's definitely relating to to my journey and the experience that I've had. Yes.
0: Um, and would yeah. you say, I've asked you this before, that your, um, your life experiences, even if we believe that, you know, things happen for a reason, that you came into this role as, you know, as a protector and a caretaker of women, um, do you feel that that's related to your experiences? Absolutely, absolutely. And I think it's for those, for
1: those yeah. reasons. Like I feel, I remember being, being a student we had to do it was an arts and humanities project, which I thought was a bit like fluffy. <laughs> I was just like, "Oh God!" And I remember the the the, uh, the lecturer saying to us, "Think about something that gives you that that gives you that feeling in the back of your throat, or that churns your stomach. Like, what is there? Must be a topic somewhere. And mine was around mm. this, around the way women are treated, and it just created this like like felt like this fire in my belly, and I just I feel like that yeah it all comes from it all comes from that like wanting to really protect this sacred you know rite of passage mm-hmm. for women um which I feel like is yeah probably relating to when I was younger and you know the whole process of of losing that losing that um losing that self-worth and losing the belief in my body or seeing my body just as an mm. object and not as a um you know as a central sexual being that that everybody yeah. is um just becoming that object which is often what women feel like giving mm. birth if they are not respected and listened to and have a voice and
0: are supported in the right way um Absolutely yeah. So. so powerful and so amazing. <laughs> it is. It's just your story is incredible. Um, it really is. And what would you, how do you find being a private, or as we call it in the UK, an independent midwife in today's birthing culture? Which I know is a really open-ended question because <laughs> there's a lot of different directions you could go with that. Um,
1: so I find being able to provide that real continuity Mm -hmm. um, and being able to provide care that is completely centred around the woman without kind of the barriers of Mm timeframes or um, any kind of restrictions that someone else puts Mm -hmm. on me or a system puts on me. Um, I find the um, sometimes there's a lot of kind of what's the word um people don't really understand us there's lots of midwives who don't understand what independent midwives do and think we are just kind of cowboy midwives who don't
0: know what we're doing and which um, is a complete (laughs) misconception (laughs) which I can attest to having worked with so many unfortunately I haven't had the joy of working with you yet but worked with so many irons and they're just so amazingly skilled um, and so, yeah, yeah misrepresented, re- misrepresented. Um, yeah. And I
1: think it's this fear of going outside of yeah. the system, like everyone just wants to comply mm-hmm. and be in the system. And that was something I was taught from being a student because I, I had it in my mind to be an independent right. midwife. And they're like, no, 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 you can't do that for. You need to be. You need to be qualified for at least ten years wow. before you can possibly do that. Um, you need to work on labor ward for however much time before you could possibly do that. And it was like, no, you're completely missing the point here um, about being a midwife. Being a midwife, you can be skilled on labor ward, but that's not that's not the sole important thing. Of, like being able to mm-hmm.
0: care for someone mm-hmm.
1: and, and actually that can to, go the other
0: way you know there's some you know there's midwives which I tend to call medwives who are so you know highly yeah. experienced and skilled of working on labor wards that they actually would have no clue how to stand back and support you know support a woman mm-hmm. in, in the way that they need to be supported when there aren't you know additional needs no exactly and I remember when I left my first
1: nhs job and i was going to work for neighborhood Mm. midwives and it was really interesting i was having a discussion with one of the delivery suite midwives um and she kind of made a comment like oh so you you, you're only going to look after low-risk women Mm -hmm. and you're not you're not going to look after women with med like and it was like a real like a bit of a it it, not argumentative but you could see that she was being judgmental about it and i just thought but i know for a fact that she they said, would would you, would you, how would you feel about going to a home birth? And it was like, so it's, it's okay one way, but not the other. Um, and unfortunately that, that creates a divide sometimes, yes. but I am seeing a change. I'm definitely seeing a change. Like recently, my experiences of going into hospital and working with midwives mm-hmm. in the labor ward have been incredibly positive. Amazing. Um, they've been amazing and, it's yeah it, it felt like the same sort of care from a midwife that you'd have where whether you're at home or um or on a birth center or, or in, in mm. a label or the midwife was was beautiful midwives were beautiful they were amazing, amazing. I love them um, so I do feel like it's, it's yeah it's been lot. it's it was a really lovely lovely experiences mm. recently um but
0: yeah um, and how would you, how would you say your experience has been so far working in this current um, pandemic? Have you been, you've been working as an independent midwife, haven't you? And also possibly going to be working for the NHS? Yeah, so I,
1: in terms of adapting to the, mm. to the pandemic, I, I, all my all my clients have been kind of um isolating ever since it was announced that women, that pregnant women were in the yeah. vulnerable category um, and so all of my appointments have been in people's homes kind of apart from changing a few appointments to Skype it's kind of it's not really changed that much in terms mm-hmm. of how i work mm-hmm. i'm a, i'm a little mm-hmm. bit busier than i than i was going to be but i'm still only taking the amount of women that I would take previously, I'm not taking on any extra work in terms of private because I, yeah, I have signed up um, with um, the with the NHS as well, and just really want to mm. support them to support the local community of women who are planning to birth yes. at home um, because, yeah, that's becoming even more important to to people now they're realizing that hospital is for sick people which obviously it always has been but it's becoming more so like it's for sick people or people who who want or need Mm -hmm. medical attention Mm -hmm. um
0: or need obstetric Mm -hmm. care Um, I don't know about um sorry just cutting in there I just I I don't know about you but I've been finding it very frustrating just seeing the the very mixed sort of um the mixed uh, messages that are being sent out to pregnant women at the moment, you know, some trusts are having home births, some trusts have closed their home birth teams, you know, women being told different things. Um, It's really confusing. I know it's making a lot of women quite anxious, especially women that were planning home births and then can't. And um, what would be your sort of, you know, your advice to pregnant women at the moment?
1: I think that, um, There, there are there are some services where they're shutting, they've shut their home birth services and they've reopened them within like I think the local one, one of the local ones shut and reopened Mm -hmm. ten days later, but it was because of um, the London ambulance service um, and their response Mm -hmm. time. But then they were so they they react they their response to that was that they didn't feel that it was um, it was Mm. safe to be at home um and but then they they reversed that i think yeah. 10 days later but obviously the women within that 10 days were 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 affected by that but i know that the midwives are as mm. upset like but not as upset as the women but the midwives are also upset about stopping these services um mm. but yeah it's very difficult when you see people reacting to yes. differently and you think if one place yeah can do it why can't Mm. the other places and there's just so much that we I guess we don't know about their staffing levels or how many of the team are working um but I know I know that independent midwives like we we reached out right at the beginning of this pandemic and um to offer our help and I know that a few um Mm. a few are Mm. um but yeah it's just it feels like a a difficult situation where. No one really knows what's mm. going to happen next. Um, but what I will say is, I'm seeing lots of positives. So, um, which is hard to say. I don't. I don't want to take away from the seriousness of the situation um, like people who have lost loved ones.
0: But it's also good um, to look at the positives <laughs> as well. <laughs> Absolutely, no, it is. Yeah. So
1: so things like you know, women are. Going, going into hospital when they need to mm. and, you know, being discharged quickly and getting home. Their partners um, are there for longer, supporting them in yeah. the postpartum because they mm. haven't got to be back at work. They haven't got the additional pressure of having to entertain yes. or have visitors or have their parents yes. or their parents-in-law over and make them, mm. you know, entertain them. Mm. Um, and there is seems to be an increasing um, pattern of babies who are just thriving Mm -hmm. in postpartum and breastfeeding going really well because women are just they 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 have to and this is from talking to, to people as well this isn't just my um perception um they're just feeling like they are kind of being forced to do what what we always tell them to do and that's to Mm. slow down and to just rest and to stay in bed and to just feed and feed and sleep and eat and um just complete just take it take it slow and take it easy and just soak up soak up the littleness of their
0: And that is a blessing. Um, And that is what I was sharing with you before when we were speaking as well for, you know, just for me as just, you know, a mom and a busy working mother. One of the things about this lockdown I've been appreciating is just slowing down and being, you know, I would at the beginning of this, I think, oh, I've got to do this. And then I think, actually, I can do it tomorrow or I can do it the day after. And I think, I think everybody, (laughs) most people, we just spend so much of our time running, you know, just you know from one thing to the next always rushing and it's really you know challenging for me in daily life to be like slow down and just stop and you know take that time for nourishing myself nourishing my children you know nourishing my business or whatever needs nourishing Um, And I have to say, it it has been a blessing for me um, throughout this that I've been able to do that. And so I think, you know, yes, this is an incredibly serious time and and it is scary. But one of the things that I just found so unhelpful is to get wrapped up in the fear, Um, you know definitely that's it is fear is is a pandemic pandemic on its own own. absolutely it is and you know we yes we there's seriousness and we have to take things seriously um but if we live you know I know before this even happened that if I live in fear then I am not going to be happy and I'm not going to be healthy
1: no and it reduces your like it impacts your immune system and can make you more susceptible to becoming unwell so it's kind of Count- yeah I stopped too. watching the news um about yeah, same. Oh, over a week ago I think I just mm-hmm. I look on the government website just to, to make sure like that I'm up to date but mm. I don't watch any news I don't read any of yeah. those things that are shared on Facebook or I just avoid it completely just because I just started to feel like at the beginning of this I for, for about a week to two weeks i felt really I could I just felt Mm -hmm. I knew that I felt Mm -hmm. full of fear um and I knew I started to feel angry at people who didn't feel the same and or angry at people who weren't um Mm -hmm. reacting the same like I have lots of friends like in other countries where it really is not it's nothing like it is here um And like, I would feel that frustration in like, why don't you, why, Mm -hmm. why are you not taking this seriously? But of course, like it's Mm -hmm. their reality is Mm -hmm. theirs and it's, everyone is experiencing this so differently and everybody's experience is valid. And, um, we should all just take a step back from like the, the the feeding the fear, which is like I see Mm -hmm. in the conversations Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of, a lot of feeding the fear around women and the perceived reality of what it's like birthing in a hospital or the perceived reality of what it might be like for them postnatally but a lot of this I see is coming from well-meaning midwives, doulas, healthcare professionals or Mm. you know people working Mm. with women Um, their perceived thoughts on what it might be like for them rather than saying do you know what the power always has been and always will yes. be from within yes. the woman. She doesn't need anybody else. She doesn't need anything else. It's about her. And like this is a unique opportunity, I think, to really, really kind of um, hone in on that, to really believe in that, to really give the women the belief so that they don't, you know, if they are birthing mm-hmm. just with their midwife, or if they are birthing with their partner, if they don't have their person that they want with them, but then they they birth. They know, like
0: nothing about their birth. They can attribute. to It's like taking the power back, which actually is all about them. Is something that you exactly. know we've been we've been trying to do, and lots of women have been doing. But it's been an ongoing thing, hasn't it, for a long time? Um. So that is an incredible thing. Oh, it's so lovely to speak to you. Thank you so much for sharing just your unbelievable story. I'm just, you know, I'm floored by it. And oh, I just think thank you have incredible bravery, you know, to identify what you've been through and how that's shaped you. Um, and to sit, you know, in your yeah. vulnerability, which you're doing again and again, and then bringing, you know, your all your strength and, and your amazing beauty to to your clients as a midwife. So I just feel incredibly grateful to to thank speak you. with you and hear your story
1: oh thank you so much thank you it's definitely an ongoing an ongoing process that seems to every time I think that I've kind of worked through mm. it something else something else sort of comes up again um which I've noticed in a, a couple of things recently that like you yes. notice the new yes. things that kind of trigger you um and take you back there that you kind of work through one thing thing and up. then nothing pops up yeah and then it kind of something else pops up like in um when I was at a retreat in February um it was a, something about we were doing this exercise where we were like basically mm-hmm. exercising our no like and like with power and with like passion and with strength and something about that I just broke mm-hmm. I just completely broke down and I was like what yeah. is what is this um it never yeah. really come up like that before and, um, literally we couldn't, mm, I couldn't wow. about That's four powerful. hours. Um, and it was that moment that I realized, like, I need any professional help. Like, mm. I'm doing lots of self development and lots of, um, deep work, inner work. But I was like, no, actually actually I need professional help. And that was um mm. yeah, that's a
0: huge turning point. But yeah, it's complete it's Yeah, it is. But I think evolving. we are as well as people. <laughs> we are always evolving. And I just think yeah. being um, you know, the people who are open to look at themselves and look inwards and backwards in order to move forwards. And it's and it's like taking responsibility, isn't it? I think that it takes a huge amount of strength. Um, and some people never get there, you know, some people don't. And so I just think it's amazing when I get to meet, um, you know, incredible people like you who are, um, where can, where can people find you online? I know you're amazing on Instagram. Um, Mm -hmm. so I do have a website, although. I don't, I'm not
1: very good at talking about what I, what I do, um, but I will (laughs) probably update it (laughs) soon enough, but my website's just www.micaidemarling.co.uk. Um, currently that's about, all about independent midwifery, um, who knows what it will be in the future, but the website will stay the same, um. And my Instagram is just at Michaela
0: So everybody, go and find Michaela. She's got some amazing stuff and posts on Instagram <laughs> of her journey. And um, thank you so much for coming on today. It was just a total honour. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Hannah. It's so so lovely to chat to
1: you, and yeah, it's such a such an honour <laughs> to to be asked. Actually, um, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity because it's just the more the more I share. The more I share about the story, and that is such a healing yes. thing in itself. I remember the very first time I shared a small snippet mm-hmm. of it, it was so scary. Um, and then it, it just gets There's healing in easier. it. Yeah. So, yeah. Pleasure. Thank
0: you. <laughs> All right, Mayla, Absolutely. Please. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. You can find the visual side of the project on Instagram at my underscore vulnerable voice. If you would like to share your story and get involved, please get in touch, myvulnerablevoice at gmail.com. You can find more of my personal work at www.hannapalamara.com and on Instagram at hannapalamarahonestlyfeminine. And please, wherever you are listening to this podcast, always subscribe, review and share. Thank you.